I'm taking just a brief moment to tell you about Anchor, which is the platform that I am using to record my podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. And who doesn't want free? There are also certain tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your iPhone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please just download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started and have fun doing it. I'm super excited to introduce to you a 29-year-old CNA Olea Thomas who has had so many struggles that she just fought and fought and fought and I'm so super excited for you to hear just how she did that and hopefully she can help somebody in the future even if it's just one person to have the strength and the power the willpower that she's had so without further ado here is Olia Hi, everybody. Tonight, I have Olya Thomas with me. Olya has a struggle called functional neurological disorder. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her struggle, probably a lot. And I just want to go ahead and welcome her and thank her in advance for telling her story. So, welcome, Olya. Hello. Welcome. So, tell me how this all began. Um, so, a few months ago, like in May, I found out I needed to have, or not May, uh, March, I found out I needed to have an exploratory endoscopy, and it was to check as I was having a lot of GI issues. And so I struggled with something called, um, what is it called, H. pylori. And so we just figured I was still dealing with some of that. So this test was to basically check to see if I still have it or if there was something else inside of me that was causing my issues. Okay, so um, what was that called? Upper endoscopy, exploratory endoscopy. No, the, what they thought you still had. Uh, H. pylori. Can you explain that to us? Uh, H. pylori is a bacteria that grows inside of your stomach, um, and you can have. Everyone has it. It's just if you get too much of it, 
and how it just it hurts you. It's just the type of bacteria where germs can enter your body and live inside of your digestive tract. And after many years, they kind of basically turn into ulcer sometime or affect the lining of your stomach or your intestines. So um, you kind of have to be careful because H. pylori can turn into a, a stomach cancer. So you don't want that. So we figured it to get the exp exploratory endoscopy done to make sure that's not still what I was struggling with because the process of healing that isn't easy. It's a long regimen of a lot of antibiotics uh, taking several times a day just to heal your body of it. That doesn't sound fun. Uh, no, ma'am, it was not. It was very, <laughs> very tough. Sorry to hear that. Okay, and so go ahead from there. I interrupted you, um, but a lot of times people want to know what things are, so I will interrupt you for that kind of stuff. No worries. Okay. Uh, towards the end of April, we scheduled to have um, this surgery with COVID. It kind of kept getting pushed back. Um, mm -hmm. And so once it did finally happen, I was a little bit nervous. As to me, it's we're going during COVID, so going into a hospital is already nerve-wracking with COVID happening as strong as it was back last year and this year. Um, and so I was already nervous, but I was also nervous that we weren't going to find answers. So I was a little bit anxious going into surgery. Uh, once I got into surgery, I was put to sleep for them to start the whole process. While doing that, I ended up waking up out of sedation and they had to resedate me because I woke up too soon. And so that was just waking up from that, I, I started panicking. I started to like cry, like, I mean, as embarrassing as that is to say, like, I, I was freaking out. I was like, where am I? Like, what's happening? Um, I can't move. Um, and so they resedated me. And when I woke up, I didn't, I was so groggy. I had so much in me that I just was, didn't really care. Um, I didn't feel great afterwards and they said that's expected. I didn't realize at that time I was sedated twice. They told my friend who, um, took me to the surgery and took me home. Um, and I basically drove the two hours home. I, or not drove. I slept during the entire two hour drive home and didn't really feel good. Once I got home, I, they said I could take like medication again. And so I took Tylenol and like my anxiety stuff and that basically is where like things kind of got worse I just started not feeling great even more um I just had a hard time like being able to like lift my head and like stand straight and I my friend was bringing me food and while I was talking to her I don't really remember a lot of it but I blacked out I like completely fell face first into the ground um so do they know what even caused that no, at the time they didn't know. I basically just like blacked out and they were like, okay, that's weird. Um, and so she had my other friend who's actually my neighbor come stay with me. And my neighbor ended up staying the night with me. She left for a little bit to go get some stuff to stay with me. And I passed out again. But the second time around when I blacked out, I hit my head. And so the I just felt even worse like the next morning and I couldn't really do much. I was really nauseous and sick and just really out of it. I called my doctor. My doctor said you were sedated twice, that 
it might just take a little bit to get out of your system. But if you don't get better by that evening to go into the ER to get double checked. Um, you know, that's really day, um, weird because I have a, oh, what do I call it? Um, I'm sensitive to medications, period. Um, I have a low tolerance. And so I've had like five surgeries and all five of them, um, they had to give me just a small amount, like, that's weird. Um, a small amount, like a one milligram of morphine because, and that's like the size they give a baby. But then I would wake up right in the middle of surgery, but I couldn't feel anything. So I didn't freak out. They would just like see me wake up and then they would put the gas mask over me and I would go back out. They didn't really put more morphine in me, mm. but it was not- usually like maybe 20 minutes before they were done or something. Oh, I mean, I don't remember a lot of it just because I did black out. I ended up getting a concussion. So a lot of that still kind of, there's still some of it that I don't remember. And that I kind of, to be honest, don't want to remember. Um, if I'm being yeah, honest, just because it was a scary period of time. So, and I don't want to actually remember the details of waking up in the middle of surgery and just going from there right um but yeah so when I passed out the second time it definitely was a lot I didn't really understand I woke up in my hallway and I didn't even realize I blacked out my intentions was to go to the restroom because I thought I was gonna be sick and I don't ever remember ever getting to the restroom but somehow I don't really know what I hit my head on and I couldn't stand up. Like I remember I just had a hard time once I did come out of it. I don't know how long I was out, but once I did come to, I just couldn't stand up. I would just fall back down. Like everything just was spinning around me. And so definitely at this point, my roommate had only been gone like five minutes. And then that five minutes is the time I chose to have to get up. And in those five minutes I blacked out. So she wasn't there until um, she got back. And I didn't really realize I hit my head on anything until she saw me later on and realized like I had a pretty big goose egg on my forehead, kind of like this one I have similar to now. Um, And so I just didn't feel better. I was really sick, couldn't each time focus, keep my eyes open, just was getting harder. I was already shaky and just didn't do well. So I called my doctor and my doctor told me to go to the ER. I'm not sure how, but I would probably say by the grace of God, somehow my roommate and I, or not my roommate, my next door neighbor and I made it down three flights of stairs, even though I was super wobbly and definitely not all there. Like I did not feel good. And I could tell I wasn't myself. Like trying to walk was even a process, but somehow we made it. We survived getting to the hospital. Uh, Once we got to the hospital. So can I clarify something? Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, so this was after you had surgery and had been sent home, correct? Yeah, this this was the night I got sent home. Okay. Okay, go ahead. All this happened within 24 hours of okay. leaving the hospital. Okay. Um, and how long were how long did they keep you in the hospital after the surgery? Um, it was a same day surgery that I just stayed for a few hours. Um and they like tested you like 
Because like when I've done those kind of surgeries, they're called outpatient surgeries, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. And usually they make you wait like three hours to make sure that you're okay. You know, you can like hold stuff down and you don't feel too groggy. They don't usually want you to drive, but oh yeah, they still make sure that you like you're not vomiting or sick or anything. Did they do that? Um, if they did that, I don't really remember. A lot of that is still a blur. I yeah. I remember getting in the car to go home, and I was definitely I felt really like pretty drugged up. <laughs> um, and I I know my friend said they sedated me twice, that, and they told her that I would be pretty groggy and tired, and just kind of what to expect since I was kind of too out of it to understand. Um, so I didn't really think anything of it because I was out. Uh, not till like, was it worrisome till the same friend who took me to surgery and brought me home when she brought groceries for me and I blacked out in front of her. Um, she definitely was freaking out a little bit. Like what just, what happened? Cause I was when just you black out, are you saying that you like fainted? Yeah, so essentially I was standing there talking to her and then she turned her back for a slight second and then heard me hit the floor. Like, I remember it was just really hard to focus, but I didn't know how to, I just assumed it was because I was on that. I had no idea that I was going to black out, uh, but I blacked out and hit my head and I was out for a few minutes um, and came back to, she got me back into my room to rest and at the time, we didn't know what it was called until, like, once I got to the hospital, they, it's called a non-epileptic seizure. Um, so your body is essentially, it blacks out. And there's two different types of seizures. There's the ones where, like, you're visibly, like, moving. And then the more dangerous one is non or the, um, the seizures where you're not moving at all. Like, you're present, but you're, like, way disconnected from everything in the world. Um, so they say I, what causes that um at the time we didn't know they just basically said well once I got to the ER they basically just said we're going to hold you overnight um they did the basics like run blood work I was hyperventilating I remember I was so hot like I was going through sheets and the gowns like crazy and I was like what's what's wrong with me like I would definitely it felt more of like a withdrawal um and so they weren't sure at the time they thought it was something called serotonin syndrome which is from like taking uh, anxiety medicine or depression medicine on top of what I was taking okay um on top of the anesthesia that I was on they thought oh, that's what wow. it was so they try to reverse that effect by pumping me with a whole lot of stuff I don't even know a lot of it, what it was. I know magnesium was pumped into me, potassium, just literally everything. And I just, I don't know. I had a hard time coming together. My heart rate was going crazy. Um, my blood pressure was really low. Uh, and so I was just trying to figure out what happened and how much I could recollect. Once I was there, I just kind of got worse. I started to... I don't know if it was because I was hyperventilating or just because I, I my body was failing. I, I lost feeling in my body and in my legs. And I didn't even realize I did until a nurse bumped into my leg and said, sorry. And I asked her why she said, sorry. She said, because I bumped you. And I told her I didn't feel anything. And when she lifted the cover over my legs, my legs were kind of stuck in an upright position. 
um, like my, it was like my legs were um, pointed upward. Wow. And so they were so, my legs were just so stiff and them just pressing on it. Like it was, my legs wouldn't do anything. And so by that point, they're like, we're just going to admit her, hold her, keep an eye on her. No shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't really know. I just was like, okay, cool. Um, So my mom and my roommate, or not my roommate, my neighbor left. Um, And shortly after that, just things really went downhill south from there. They left you? Uh, So once you're with COVID, we couldn't have people. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, They couldn't stay. Um, Yeah. And we just assumed it would be a one night thing. So my mom just was like, okay, I'll come back in the morning. Um, And then it didn't really end up being a one night. I ended up not long after being admitted and waiting for a regular room, did I ended up getting put in the ICU. And in the ICU is where I was fighting pretty much for my life. I, uh, at that point I had lost a full function of my legs. I couldn't really walk. I didn't really realize I couldn't walk. I just nothing like everything was failing me um my asthma got really bad I mean it just it wasn't good I don't recollect a lot from that but I know that the bits and pieces I do know I realize like I don't know if what everyone knows what a bedpan is but in the hospital when you can't use the restroom you're right. they give you a bedpan right I didn't realize why I was even using a bedpan at that point I didn't I was like wow this is pretty embarrassing um so I wasn't I hadn't come to terms of what was happening because I was pretty knocked out of, or not knocked out, pretty out of it. Um, But I was really sick. I was throwing up. I was just so hot, like nothing, nothing just was working. Like my temperature was out of whack. My asthma was not great. Just, I started failing. And the only thing I remember from being in the ICU is I remember hearing the nurse tell me or tell my family to please come back that she might not make it through the night wow and that's all I remember in the next night like I was sleeping after that or whatever I don't remember people coming into the ICU room with COVID you're ideally not supposed to but there's special well, if you're, circumstances if you're gonna if you say goodbye dying, I think I think yeah you're gonna say goodbye for sure. let, like one at a purse one person at a time or something go in uh yeah I don't know how many they allowed but they definitely let me finally or they let my family in um, and a couple of my friends. And, and did you wake up when they were in there? Um, I They said I was partially in and out of it, but I don't remember. I, they, I just know they kept telling me to rest. I definitely was a hot mess express. In tears <laughs> I, didn't really under, I didn't really understand what was happening and to see the reaction on my family's faces them crying concerned me I was like what's actually happening none of it really came to terms with me until uh like a few days later when they finally said we're gonna actually transfer you to a different hospital um a hospital that was two hours away from me that specializes in neurology that um at this point I'm finally starting to get some like enough consciousness to kind of able to be coherent to understand what people are saying okay. I didn't really understand why I was being tra- like getting ready to be transported or why I was being transported I'm like what <laughs> what just happened like if I don't know honestly it felt like a like a kind of like a movie reel like living outside of your body uh, at a body experience so it was uh weird when they told me I had to go to 
Spokane. I was a little nervous. Um, so now this is a hospital that specializes in neurology? Yeah, so this hospital has, uh, so the town I'm, I was staying in is a pretty small town. And if there's anything pretty serious or anything, the special, we have special T people, like if we have to see specialists, they're up in Spokane at a bigger hospital okay. where they are, they can handle that kind of stuff. So I, it wasn't until that day where I realized something's really wrong, but I didn't understand. I kept telling my mom, like, let me just get in the car with you and we'll go. And she was like, dude, you can't walk. Like I wasn't really processing that. Um, and not till then did fear kind of hit, hit me and realize I'm um, getting transported on an ambulance. And I was like, what, why? Like, I had no idea. Not till I got to Spokane did I kind of really understand what was happening. They were keeping my family informed. And if they told me anything, it was, <laughs> it was in one ear out the other. Um, not till I got to Spokane until the neurologist there saw me in the hospital saw me, did I realize they're like, you can't walk, you can't play sports, like you can't so really when do you, a whole lot when of So when you stuff. were just laying there or whatever, could you feel your legs? Um, no, like they did a test. So um, like the first night in the ER, they were just testing my legs by like touching them and see if I could feel them. Um, and I really couldn't. And they did the same thing once I got to Spokane, but they did it all the way from the bottom of my toe up to my upper thigh and just took like a, almost like a popsicle stick just to run down with, and they had me had my eyes closed and they're like, can you feel this? Which leg are we touching? Like, do you feel us poking? And it was basically yes or no questions. And all of them were like pretty much no for me. And I, so, um, I, I'm thinking then that there was something in your brain going on that wasn't telling your legs mm -hmm. to move. Yeah. So basically once I didn't have feeling in my hands either, my uh, hands were like tingly, but I could semi feel, they just felt really funny. Um, so once I got to Spokane, they ran a lot more tests on me. I had a, um, another EKG done. I had a E, GG, which is basically like a brain scan to right. check for seizures. Right. Um, I had x-rays, MRIs, like the whole nine. Yeah. Um, just everything that they could test just to make sure that they're covering all their tracks to make sure it isn't something else before they made a diagnosis. But That must have been really scary having all this yeah. go on and not being able, you know, stupid COVID. But mm -hmm. not and, being yeah. able to have anybody with you and yeah, and with COVID it made it hard. I could only have one person and whoever comes has to be the only person that comes. Right. Um, and my mom was at the other hospital with me and and that it was the first time I realized something wrong. And um I'm pretty I would say I have a pretty um I don't really I wouldn't say I cry a lot, but that definitely hit in and just see the concern. I was nervous that I wasn't going to see my mom before I got put in an ambulance and sent to a different hospital that I know nothing about. Um, and so I, yeah, I was scared. And to see my mom for that, like quick second, I fear really kicked in. I'm like, what's happening? What, 
And to see the fear in her eyes, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't really know. So once I got to Spokane, it was nice to be able to have her. She could stay because I was no longer in the ICU. I got put up on um, the neuro floor, which is at our hospital. It's not the hospital I work for. It's considered the eighth floor. It's where any kind of neurological problem is where you go for that. That's the floor that really manages that. So once she got there, the doctors kind of sat down and explained what they think it is and kind of asked me a basic, basic questions like what's wrong? Like, do you, do you understand where you're at? Do you know you can't walk? If you can't walk, like I didn't process that. I didn't realize if I can't walk, I can't drive. I can't play sports. I can't be a nanny. Like that, none of that really registered with me. And I'm like, it's cool. It's cool. Just like send me home. And like, oh yeah, you're not going home. <laughs> um, so, so that was, did they diagnose something? Yeah. So they, they had an idea, but they wanted to make sure once I got to Spokane that they did a few more tests just to make sure it wasn't anything at the time they called it conversion disorder, but it's also called functional neurological disorder. It's where your brain basically undergoes too much stress. And it just shuts um, down. And your body, yep, too much stress and trauma. And then your body just literally shuts down on you. Um, it's just basically, a, it's a problem with your nervous system and how the brain connects with all of that and the mixed signals of it. So, yeah, it just, it instead of, I don't know, it, it's a, a variety of things can happen. And I ended up getting quite a, lot of the things I couldn't I was paralyzed in my legs or had paralysis and then I kind of just I didn't also feel that great I I don't know my body literally shut down so I was learning how to take care of everything took some time but yeah okay so what did they end up doing for everything so once they told me what their idea of what it was called, it was a matter of understanding um, how to work with it. So I had to meet with the doctors and psychologists and, and um, meet with therapists and family and kind of just go over what happened essentially. And is there, besides the surgery, was there any other stuff that was happening in my life? Um, which there was in the process during this, I was going through another pretty big trauma that I'm still going through. Um, and so that took between that and this hospital waking up in the middle of surgery, they called it like a perfect storm. Um, and my body just had enough and it was like, we're done, <laughs> we're done. And so, but then yeah. was it medications they were giving you that started started bringing you around or just your body starting to heal again um a little bit of both it was trying to fix the things that we could it was essentially like especially in the icu was pinpoint what is the problem and take care of each one individually to be a bigger thing so if they could handle one then they can handle the rest um and so if they could figure out my heart rate then they're like, okay, now let's fix her. Like my asthma wasn't great. They're like, what's causing that? Like just, they took care of it basically individually. Um, 
until I could be well enough. And once I got to Spokane, I was put on heart monitors and all these little things so that they could keep an eye that if I did end up blacking out again, and essentially if I had a seizure that they could monitor it. Um, and so some of the things they intentionally, like I did a EGG or whatever it's called, where they check your brain. So they intentionally strobe lights, put strobe lights on you to right. see if your brain will have a seizure. Yes, and that's just, awful. Oh, I hated that part. I hated laying there in the dark and having lights flashing right. at me and tripping my brain out. And I know that was the point, but right. it was really hard and to plus, see that. It's scary knowing going, oh, well, I might have a seizure. Yeah. So, so that to me would be putting stress on you right there. For me, it was more of, I didn't quite understand, like, if I can't walk, I can't do all these things. And they're like, you also need to like eat. Like when I got to the first hospital, I realized my levels were really low. Um, and so they're like, you have to, you need to eat. I found out um, I have something called hypoglycemia, right? which means if I'm not eating constantly, that could contribute. Your sugar to level drops. Yeah. But at, in the hospital, I couldn't keep anything down. And so once I got to the new hospital in Spokane, their goal was to basically take care of the little things and at least get me. So in order to make me feel better and get medicine, I needed to have food or something that I could keep down. So they did pretty good on um, trying to get food. We started with easy stuff just to see if I could tolerate it. And you they had I mean, what? Um, like medicines. Like I had IV of like, um, like nausea medication to, so that I could try to keep stuff down. Uh-huh. And so we stayed on top of like medications because I had a pounding headache from hitting my head. Uh, I was nauseous and sick and just couldn't walk either. So it was just pinpointing all that. Um, no, can I, uh, let me interrupt you a minute. Um, do you mind if I ask, how old are you? Um, I turned 27 in July. Okay. And, and you are a nurse or I'm a CNA, You're a CNA now at the hospital that I ended up getting transferred to. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I now work for the same place that and work on the same floor sometimes that I was actually a patient on. Yeah. I know I'm getting a little off the subject here, but the, is that kind of traumatic? Does that like bring back memories when you go to work? Um, For sure. When I first found out that that was the floor that I had to go on. Um, at first it didn't bother me until we got up to the floor and then everything just kind of started flooding in. And I recognized the nurses recognized me and they were like already surprised that I was even there in the first place, let alone walking. So it was traumatizing. And so my teacher didn't make me stay up there very long. It was kind of like bits and pieces. Um, well, now it's easier to be going, up there. I'm sorry. When all this was going on, were you working at the time I yeah, know so not, I know not there but were you did you have a yes job I was working at another company um called Fletcher's Engineering Laboratory Incorporation we were basically making relays for um to create power for everyone around the world um so when did you um go into schooling for a CNA or did you have to um, so it was actually a program that I did through the hospital. Um, I was intending to start school in the fall. I was technically already in school doing kind of like a college prep thing to prepare me for 
my fall classes. Um, and it was during then while I was in the hospital that I realized I wanted to like start now. And when you come to a pretty near death experience, like everything changes. Um, and so I was like, well, this is just a shot. And while I was in rehab, I applied my last day there. Okay, so let's go into, um, let's go back then to okay. when they, everything that they had to do to get you back to normal. So what, so we, um, I think the last thing we said was so that they had to get you eating because you would. Yes, be it's, essentially they started off with just basic needs to meet my basic needs in order to get me to eat and drink. I had to find something that I could keep down. Um, they wanted to make sure I wasn't throwing blood clots. So I was getting shots in my stomach every day to make sure because I can't move and I'm not using those legs that I don't have a, um, embolism. Um, and Did so, they ever, I know I keep interrupting, but this is just so much. Um, did they ever figure out why you, why you couldn't move your legs? And so that's part of, um, the, the diagnosis, yeah, part of the functional neurological disorder. It, um, it's it's one. It's considered a rare disease, um, but because it's so like unknown and kind of unheard of. Um, but did they know like that you would come out of that, or did they not know? Did they? Um, like, were you given basically? I just was told that FND is just, or functional neurological disorder slash conversion disorder is a fancy way of saying like, we don't really know what's happening. And that's why it's considered a rare disease because they don't, it's not really sure why it happens. And with it, you get motor dysfunctions, there's sensory dysfunction, episodes of altered awareness, um, like the non-epileptic seizures that I was having, blackouts and fainting. Um, but the exact cause of it is really unknown what kind of causes it. It's, it could be a handful of things. So if they don't know anything about it, I, that, to me, that would seem a little hard to, um, what I want to say, hard to treat well, it. Yeah. But number it's one, so but number two, to give you any kind of um, answers as to, is this going to go away? Am I going to be like this the rest of my life? Essentially, I kind of worked with a psychologist and my therapist that I was already seeing um, and doctors and just them trying to help me like read through what there is a functional neurological disorder mm -hmm. um, and just understanding how do I live with this, that there is a chance that I could relapse and go into the same problem, but I I was determined to not let that happen. Um, and so I was like, give me everything I need to know that will make it so that I don't ever have this problem. But it could be a handful of things. It could just be like stress could cause it. Like in my case, mine was surgery. Um, it's really just that can be a handful of stuff that yeah. cause it. They're not really sure. Okay. So. I, I know that I kept interrupting you, but it's no, you're it's, good. It's a little hard to comprehend, and for those that are listening, I want them to be able to try to follow it too. So, well, a perfect uh, website that people can go to to understand it is called um, 
FND Hope. It's a it it's an organization. It's called FND Hope International, and it actually started in the England area um, for it. And it basically just kind of explains what it is and how people respond. Like, what kind of patients are there that get triggered with the onset? And it's like a list. Is it due to vaccines? Is it like head injuries, like concussions? Is it accidents, non-head injury, surgery? But the biggest thing is their thing is the unknown. Like they're not sure. Some mine was just a perfect storm of the trauma that I was already in, and then I went into a surgery that I woke up in the middle of. So mine was just like the perfect catastrophe. Okay, so how did you? Like, when did you start being able to feel your legs again? Um, and it took a while. Um, I kind of got feeling pretty, I wouldn't say pretty quickly, but pretty enough that I could like, I kind of walked funny with a limp. Um, so, so like when you start, did they like test your legs every day? Yeah, they tested my legs every day. And then I would do physical therapy and physical therapy helped me from getting out of bed to just at least trying to take that first step so it can retrain i mean i had to retrain my brain how to learn to walk again okay so i would assume that they wouldn't start that until the one day that you said i can feel that i can feel that um some my left leg i mean to this day like i don't have full feeling in um but i can walk it was a matter for me as i watched my legs I would look down until I was comfortable and they were comfortable and then they had me look up so it could be like muscle memory so I basically had to look at my legs and kind of like memory game it and be like come on brain connect the leg to my brain like the neurons and make sure that you move like try to move them um, and I started that rehab process while I was there with working with physical therapists occupational therapists Regular. So did you do that staying in the hospital? Um, yeah, until I got transferred to a rehabilitation center where they go a pretty more intensive route of therapy. Um, and so, so then you so so then you went to another place. Yeah, I went you, to another facility, and that, it wasn't an outpatient. You had to stay in. Oh yeah, it's a inpatient rehab center okay. that basically was a very like strong course of physical therapy and occupational therapy it's more intense instead of getting an hour i would get three hours of intense therapy like spread out throughout the day wow um, that's your to exhausting. help my legs um i well a little bit like trying to relearn to like walk and stuff that definitely was hard and tiring but it was more taxing and stressful on my mental health than it was on anything else because hearing that to me sounded like like it's all in your head which it can it's kind of like psychosomatic and just trying to like be like come on brain like I know you know how to walk you used to walk like do it again it was hard and it it was definitely what was more hard was watching my family when my mom and aunt saw me take my first steps in the hospital I mean like me I was excited I was like yes like, I hate asking for help. I've never been one to be good at, like, asking for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't walk, so I had to rely on my mom and aunt and all the doctors and nurses. And so, to me, 
I would just be like, okay, look, I took a step. Like I would get excited. And to me, that motivated me and determined me to be like, we got this. Like, what can I do like quickly to get out of this? Like, I know this can last for a long time. There's still people in this situation who still don't walk. Um, mm -hmm. And I was bound to not be wheelchair bound or bed bound. I was like, nope, I'm determined to do whatever I can. I know that meant I had to put in a lot of work, but it was definitely taxing on my brain. It um, or not on my brain, on my mental health. It was hard that some days to have to, to go from knowing what I could do to be like, oh, great. I have to get cleared to drive again. I have to relearn how to walk again, to relearn how to play sports again, to relearn how to just do basic necessities, to walk, just to use the bathroom. It was, uh, it was a little bit humiliating and embarrassing because I didn't like to ask for help. And in the hospital, you got to press a button like nurse, nurse's station, like, I need to use the restroom and because I couldn't walk someone would have to help me mm -hmm. um and so for me it was a lot more draining on that and the days that I didn't have therapy it was hard because I felt like so helpless and like well what can I do and I would ask the therapist I'm like please give me something to do on the days that I can't have therapy and that I do have to rest like what can I do from my bed like and so it was it was hard not to pity myself and not to let that destroy me but it, I mean I'm not gonna lie I probably cried like every day being in the hospital because I was I was mad I was mad that it even got this far and but also kind of blessed I needed that wake-up call to learn to me I saw it as a sign from above to slow my role and slow down and take care of myself if you're constantly on the go 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 and running from your problems then it eventually is going to catch up to you and in my case they did catch catch up to me it literally made me bed bound um so scary so you know and it sounds to me like like did you get any of these suggestions from the psychologist or was just this your willpower what do you mean when you would talk to your brain and say you know no i'm not going to give in i'm going to do this you know fight 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 that kind of stuff was that is that something uh, that you came up with Yourself. No, it was a little of my entire team of people who were helping me knowing mm -hmm. that uh, my therapists were like trying to help encourage my brain to relearn the basics, like to throw a ball, to kick, like to, it, my body knows that information. I just spent the last 26 years doing it and to have it gone completely within <laughs> like a couple days um, was hard. It was just learning to read. It was, it sounds easier said than done to tell your brain, like, come on, you can move away. It your doesn't sound easy to me. Be because it was hard to try to like, be like, come on, you can do it. Or on days that therapy was hard, they're like, you can do this. I'm like, I can't, I can't get the two and two together. But once I got to rehab, they did something called an electrical therapy treatment on my legs to help. Yeah, um, I know what that is. You, you can basically check it out on my YouTube channel. I put it on there. It's the process of it showing. I wasn't able to move my legs, but um, this <laughs> thing basically made my nerves like basically reconnect to get my leg to move. And you can see my reaction in my video that I was surprised. Um, well, can you tell us your YouTube like, channel? It's just my name. It's just Olya Thomas. Um, O-L-Y-A-Y-A. Yeah. And, and, and if they look just, up your name on YouTube, it'll come up. Yeah, it should pop up of a 
a pretty zoomed in photo of me in the beach background and that's who I am and okay. it should be my latest video is what it is so do you do you put quite a bit on YouTube um I used to uh I took a break when COVID started because it took kind of um what was I gonna say I totally just lost my train of thought just take a second oh man I don't even remember <laughs> okay so you um, used to you used to do a lot of YouTube and then COVID started so. oh yeah COVID started and essentially I took kind of like a hiatus from YouTube it was very hard just to see YouTube COVID this COVID that it got depressing to see and I know COVID was hard for everyone um, but it was it's gruesome I hated I'm not a homebody by any means and so it was very difficult for me to and my mental health to like figure out what am I supposed to do with myself and my time if I'm not working I'll tell you what because I and yes I'll you know I think everybody has in one way or the other been affected by COVID some obviously worse than others I am not a person to lay around at all and between the radiation and me getting COVID. Now, I didn't have COVID like a lot of people did. I didn't get real sick. I had like a slight fever, like 99 to 100 for like three days, which was just um, uncomfortable because I'd wake up, you know, my sheets soaking wet or whatever, you know, and I didn't, I didn't feel like eating, but I knew, I knew better than like not to drink and keep myself hydrated. Basically, and, and then I slept a lot. I, I just my body was exhausted. And, and I'm sure that's part of the radiation and the COVID both put together. Um, but I was down for like, six weeks, and was just in and out of sleeping i'd wake up um every single day i lost more energy and more muscle mm -hmm. do you and lose your smell and taste i did not and i'm grateful for that but i i also wasn't um like i was home by myself so my son was away at college and he was he couldn't come home and my husband was on a job out of town and the oncologist didn't want him to come home because I was so susceptible to getting other stuff. But so he was he was gone for a month and you know my son was away at college. So I was all by myself and I would my neighbors would like bring food over and put it at the door. You know, and I've got one of those ring doorbells, so you can, it's videoed and it comes to my phone. So like they would ring the bell and then I could um, turn on the mic and the camera and see them. And then just say, are you okay? And you know, like, yeah. And they're like, okay, we're gonna leave this. And they would try to leave me food because they knew I, I couldn't even stand up in the kitchen long enough to make me something to eat. Um, so the stuff they brought over was usually stuff that had to be heated up, but I didn't even heat it up. I just, I had to crawl to the door 
and crawl with it on the floor back into the room and get back in the bed because I had absolutely no muscles, no strength whatsoever. And I think I could have very easily gone into depression. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, I was too busy sleeping in between, but I just started, um, when I, when I started coming out of COVID after like two weeks, um, they stopped the radiation obviously during that. So I, I did have it stopped for three weeks, but then the tumor started growing right away. And so they had to make an exception and have me come back in. But um, I I couldn't walk by myself. Like, well, I, I did because nobody was around, but like I had to hold, I had to walk and hold on to the wall, the table, the, everything close to me to get from one spot to the next. And And then I'd have somebody else take me to my radiation, you know, because obviously I couldn't drive. So I anyway, I I could have let myself get into depression. I did have a counselor assigned to me and we did virtual. Oh, yeah, that's basically what I've done. I've never met my counselor, my therapist face to face. I see my therapist virtually and a half for the last year and a half. I think that's kind of cool, though. I mean, I really, if, if I guess if I was somebody that didn't want to go out, that's the perfect solution. But since I couldn't, um, I still felt like, you know, I could still see her and I felt like I was like in the room with her just about. So to me, I was like, okay, well, I don't, you know, I don't have to get up and put clothes on. I can stay in my pajamas and I don't have to put makeup on and yeah. You know, so there was some easy things about that. I always tried to find the positive thing in COVID. Yeah, and and that's what I try to essentially do in the hospital. I try to basically, I was still in school. And so I ended up having to drop one of my classes just so I could like focus on relearning the basics. And my teacher was impressed that I, she wanted me to drop out completely. And I was like, no, I can't be bored out of my mind sitting in the hospital bed. Like I literally have nothing better to do. So I just try to stay like focused on school and try to remember what I could. And my teacher was really good about making sure that even though I was obviously behind in in assignments um, at first, I caught up quite quickly and became, I ended up passing the class, like one of the highest students in that class. Even wow, considering, that's amazing. Yeah, considering that I <laughs> missed a All lot. that you had. And same with like my work, they were very good about it. They checked in on me. Every day they sent goodie, goodie baskets and they're like, your job is, I mean, we'll still be here when you get back. Like if you're able to work again, like we'll figure it out. Like everyone was pretty good about working with me. And I had a lot of friends who FaceTime me every day and because of COVID not everyone could come. And so I FaceTime people all day long, like just so that I could stay obey and not fall into, like you said, that like depression, it was, it was hard. Some days I didn't want to talk to anyone and there was, I think, a day or two where I asked for no guests. I was like, I can't do this. Like, it's embarrassing for anyone to even see me that I can't walk, let alone not be able to just do things for my own. And to know I have a, I genuinely, I naturally have a pretty high pain tolerance. And so I usually will say I'm fine, even though I'm not. And people have quickly learned 
right that <laughs> saying the word i'm fine means nothing right um to it's just i don't know it takes me a while that's why it took me forever to go to the hospital because my head was hurting but i was like nah it's fine it'll go away <laughs> like oh well my leg i still don't have feeling but i learned i quickly needed to speak up if i needed like if today, i wanted to get better i had to ask today you still don't have feeling um i it's not that i don't have feeling it's just kind of like that numbness and tingly like when your foot's asleep and then you first start walking that's the kind of feeling i have in my left leg still and they said that just takes time to get back and um, there's absolutely there's not not like any blood clots in there that's stopping the oxygen and all that from going through it's all neurological mm -hmm. it's all just trying to get my brain to do it so that kind of it kind of sounds like there's hope there. Um, so which is why I like the organization FND. It's called FND Hope International because hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have hope in a situation like this. It was hard not to give up, but I was also determined. I was determined just by getting videos from the kids I nanny, from my nieces and nephews, that I needed to get back to normal. <laughs> like I know this meant this was a moment for me to slow down and process everything that I was going through. And I mean, some of that trauma I'm still going through to this day, but I also have grown a lot. I've learned that it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to ask for help. And it most certainly um, to, is okay to fall and to like kind of stay down there and have like get help from that. Like I didn't, it was hard. Some days I was like, "Come, like, what's next? It was hard not to think negatively and be like, why me? Why this? Instead, I had to, it took a while, not till probably I got out of the hospital to change how I was seeing it. Instead of seeing the glass half empty to see it half full and explain what is this moment trying to teach me? Instead of why me? Why me, God? Why this? Like, That yeah. sounds like a really good way to look at life and i'm so proud of you thank you yeah um, i mean i had a lot of help along the way between doctors my family and my friends uh the staff it was it was great and it's nice to know i actually now work for the same people and seeing their reaction to watch me turn around and walk and as quickly as i returned to walking was I mean, it's it's a miracle, to be honest. Uh, there's still people in my case who still don't have that, who still struggle, and I don't really have any more side effects. Um, I guess the only one is I still black out, so we're trying to make sure that I'm constantly eating um, hourly so that I don't black out and figuring out why my blood pressure is just so low. And they, they're... They think that's part of the neuro neurological thing too, or do they not know? Uh, I don't think they know. We're still trying to figure out why that's happening. Isn't that, you know, all the things that we have to, you know, all the scientists and all the modern technology and stuff, you would think that would be something that they would just know, but I know just like my brother that passed away had two types of non-curing, fast-growing, non-hereditary brain cancer that he didn't have any any type of 
symptoms until just one day he he had a headache and he was like never one to be sick um never had headaches he never you know had to take Tylenol or anything like that was just always really healthy and just all of a sudden one day he had this headache and mm-hmm. I you know he ignored it like for a couple of hours he said and then like it kept getting worse and worse and worse and he like told somebody about it. they're like why don't you take some excedrin and he didn't even have excedrin because he never even had this kind of stuff but somebody gave him some and it didn't touch it and mm-hmm. within a couple of hours his vision started getting blurry so he he called me and asked me if i could come get him at work and drive him to the doctor they took an x-ray it was a small hospital they didn't have mris um they did an x-ray but the doctor there was really good and he immediately called the big hospital that was in the big city about 30 miles from where we were and um they were waiting for us but the doctor his doctor you know that we went to like had taken me aside and said that through the x-rays he could see that his brain was full of one big tumor and what he thought it was and then but not to say anything to my brother so then when we got to the big hospital they had a neurologist waiting and he did an mri and he was like straightforward he just came into the room and said this is what it's called we don't know anything about it it's except that it's non-hereditary that it's fast growing and nobody's ever survived it and you can live a couple days or maybe a couple weeks but it's our isn't that and you i mean you're so dumbfounded when they say something like that when they say we know nothing about it Mm -hmm. when there's all these things you know Mm -hmm. i definitely can empathize with you there when i first heard it when i first heard what it was my my family heard it we're like what right what do we do it's a rare disease thing like but then when somebody says to you we don't know that's That's even scarier Mm-hmm. so okay so how long did all this process take to where you are today um well a, a while i mean to this day i'm still working on it i still meet with my primary doctor with my therapist psychologist to make sure that i'm still taking care of my mental health and taking care of myself and then I see my primary doctor just does just the follow-ups checks to make sure that everything is still okay and that if like something's not right to make sure we stay on top of it and we're just basically keeping an eye on it. Okay, so I understand that you're not completely healed or anything, but do you know a time frame that you started all this and then up to today or to the day that you like started walking do you like one month two months so like so it was april to june i started my new job where i'm at now june 21st so um kind of had to quickly get that ball rolling i was walking enough 
like I could enough where I could be walking alone without supervision, but definitely with uh, um, still having that problem with my legs not being fully healed. Um, but it was enough that I could walk and stuff. And with physical therapy outside of the hospital too, I was able to you and practice like with physical therapy every day and me walking every day with my neighbor we would walk like a mile or two just so that my legs could get used to moving and doing stairs just to so help it wasn't that they weren't that you had lost like muscle it was that your brain oh i did talking. oh i legit lost muscle i have pretty big calves and they would measure my calves every day and i hated or every couple of days or whatever and I hated seeing them go down. Like, I, I mean, I lost weight sitting in that hospital bed. And Me too. And that's a hell of a way to lose weight, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish somebody losing weight any, to anybody by being sick or having some kind of disease or disorder or anything that they have to be laid up in bed and they can't eat and they're nauseous and that's a horrible way to lose weight and so yeah i wouldn't wish that on anybody um so you really don't know today like how much longer but you do know that you've come a long ways right um yeah i'm basically compared to what i've heard like i joined a lot of because this is so rare um, I had to kind of get creative and my therapist is the one that told me to look into Facebook into support groups there just because it isn't something that's widely talked about um, to find those support groups and I finally was able to get join quite a few groups and uh, just for Facebook yeah I joined support groups on Facebook and other like Instagram and stuff that's how I found the FND Hope International um, so is that is that findhopeinternational.com um, it's fnd.hope um, fnd.hope then what uh, oops I'm getting it fndhope.org fndhope.org yeah okay so for now who who would benefit out of fnd hope um really everyone uh part of one of probably the biggest things was having them explain to my family essentially what happened and because it's so unknown it was really hard for my family to and my friends to just kind of know how can we help her without making things like worse and stuff like it, in a way it's kind of psychosomatic so what can we do that isn't going to upset her uh, we want her walking again and so it's just it really kind of helps everyone to kind of understand a basis and what to expect and luckily i've i've been blessed with knowing that like i've done a tremendous tremendously there are people on the site who still struggle every day and as quickly as I learned to walk. On average, it usually takes like six months to a year is what I've been told through these groups. And uh, I did it within a few months, a couple months. I was determined to not, I didn't want a label on me. Be like, oh, yep, she has that. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna let this affect me and control my life. So in ending this, I, I just wanna say to you that 
I mean, you are humble and you are giving a lot of credit to doctors and nurses and therapists and, and all those things, but don't please forget to give yourself credit because if you didn't have that will, this wouldn't be happening. You, you actually are doing the work, even though you have people encouraging <coughs> you, you know, you could just give up or, you know, there's so many people that say, I don't feel like doing that, or I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's, oh, it's no, almost I'm like an, like somebody that that's an addict of, you know, some sort in order for them to get help, there can be you know, 500 people that are supporting them and, you know, are going to be there for them and tell them, you know, we're, we're right here when you go into rehab and we're going to be here when you get out and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't mean that person's going to go in there and do the work and get the help. That that person actually has to make that decision that they are going to get better mm-hmm. and they have to work at it. And so just remember that you... You are the one that is doing that. Yes, you have help. Oh, yeah. I definitely. So I mean, I probably credit. couldn't have done it without the help of people. And I did need that motivation. During that time, um, my nephew was actually had just taken his first step. So it was like a kind of cute. be like my kind of race. Be, <laughs> yeah, it was like my nephew's learning how to take his first steps. And he looks more gracious than I do. Oh. And I'm learning to rewalk for a second time um and so it was kind of motivating to be like I want to be able to hold my nephew and be able to do that I have the help of other people motivating me like maybe Ola come on I want to play soccer with you again I'm like oh baby like it's just hearing that helped me stay afloat and realize I do want this if because if like you said if you don't want this it's you're really not going to get better right I did not want to be stuck in hospital bed because one it's expensive two it's boring and three it's um it's it's hard right it's taxing okay well listen i want to thank you so much for doing this with me i know it had to be hard to talk about it um but hopefully there's somebody out there then and even if they don't have the same uh disorder that they can get some motivation from what you've talked about. That's that's my hope. That's why and we're called life struggles. People, Pardon me? I hope people can take what the experience I have and by researching it themselves and just hearing other stories. Like there, I mean, there's a gal I follow on TikTok who has this and she's still struggling with it. And it's just nice to be able to support one another and make us feel like we're not alone because it is considered rare and there is not, a lot of people with it so it's nice to be able to work together and work through the community that we have and ask questions like is it normal do you, did anybody else feel like this before they blacked out or does anyone still to this day have like side effects so it's nice to have that community right so in ending this um where can people follow you on instagram um, people can follow my instagram user which is ola.thomas can you spell it um, for everybody? Yeah, it's O L Y A. Um, oh, so there's no dots. O L Y A, and then my last name T H O M A S. 
and it's the same with my Twitter, it's Ola Thomas 14 though. I'm and sorry, what was Twitter? Uh, my Twitter one is just Ola Thomas 14. 14? Mm -hmm. Okay. YouTube is just Olia, Ola, it doesn't matter how people say it, Thomas, but we already gave that one out. Okay. And yeah, I'm just I mean, going it's the same over for the every, end. It's the same for every social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Well, no, Twitter's got the 14 on it, though. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And did you did you want to on TikTok? What did you say it was? Just Ola Thomas. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did you want them to follow the other girl that you found? um i don't know her username by name but if i do get it i can definitely reach out okay all right well um good luck with everything that you're doing and keep in touch with me i'd love to hear your progress and maybe you never know we might have a part two with some exciting stuff not that this isn't this isn't really exciting this is enlightening but mm -hmm. uh, maybe we'll have some exciting stuff to talk about yes ma'am all right have a good night thank you thank you again so much